the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is. And welcome back. Tuesday, February 22nd, 2022. Sometimes we may assume too much and sometimes we accept lies as wisdom. Both give a general satisfaction, neither a lasting one, to our collective detriment. Alexander Solzhenitsyn gets at this in his famous essay, Live Not by Lies, writing, quote, we have internalized well the lessons drummed into, us, drummed into us by the state. We are forever content and comfortable with its premise. We cannot escape the environment, the social conditions. They shape us. Being determines consciousness. What, we have, what have we to do with this? We can do nothing. Close quote. Perhaps – so many leaders have internalized this that it becomes in turn their mission to keep it ever this way. This would explain Canada's descent into evil for the sake of upholding a law of fastidious enforcement and large compliance without any meaningful rational basis. Exquisite detail to fundamental meaninglessness. That certainly is one cost of living a lie. Those who choose not to live by it can be punished. This happens when good people find themselves in a bad state. Now, think of the state. Again, to quote Solzhenitsyn, quote, when violence bursts onto the peaceful human condition, its face is flush with self-assurance. It displays on its banner and proclaims, I am violence. Make way. Step aside. I will crush you. But violence ages swiftly. A few years pass and it is no longer sure of itself. To prop itself up to appear decent, it will without fail call forth its ally lies. For violence has nothing to cover itself with but lies, and lies can only persist through violence. And it is not every day and not on every shoulder that violence brings down its heavy hand. It demands of us only a submission to lies, a daily participation in deceit. And this suffices as our fealty or loyalty, close quote. Why the need for violence from the state? Because there would be no need if the truth of things were established and being lived by. But we convince ourselves of lies. Donald Trump spreads misinformation. He must be banned. Joe Biden says the vaccine will keep you from getting sick or going to the hospital or dying. He's all good and still everywhere. Joe Rogan takes ivermectin. He's taking and promoting horse dewormer. The Queen of England is now taking it, and I bet this is the first time you're hearing of it. Because lies confuse, to be sure, but nothing confuses more than the irrational, the indiscriminate and arbitrary use of force based on arbitrary use of power and thinking. Here's a lie we've told ourselves to feel good, and it's just that, a lie. Every high school and college graduate knows it, and almost any consumer of television commercials knows it. Choose your own path. Make your own way. Be who you want to be. 
Be true to yourself. Follow whatever dreams you may have. Don't conform. Live by your own self-conscious. Be different. Heck, the largest computer company in the world used to have a motto, think different. It's none of it true. I'll give you one word, COVID. The last thing anyone who uttered and trafficked in those linguistic impulsions wanted was anyone to think for themselves, consider their own or their own family circumstances, or just question the wisdom of policies that made no sense if health was the actual concern. George Orwell put it this way in 1984, quote, as though some huge force were pressing down upon you, something that penetrated inside your skull, battering against your brain, frightening you out of your beliefs, persuading you almost to deny the evidence of your senses. In the end, the party would announce that two and two made five, and you would have to believe it. It was inevitable that they should make that claim sooner or later. The logic of their position demanded it. Not merely the validity of experience, but the very existence of external reality, which was tacitly denied by their philosophy. The heresy of heresies was common sense, close quote. You know, like the dismantling of the family being a good and prescriptive thing for those who believe and want to follow the messaging and forced confessions of groups like Black Lives Matter. No. <clears throat> the last thing Oprah believes when she promotes speaking your own truth, or Kamala Harris, as she told a young misled high school student the same thing, thank you for speaking your truth, though the child was speaking rot and in need of something she supposedly was at her high school for, education. No, we just utter these platitudinous bromides, but without any real meaning whatsoever, or any intent to live by them ourselves, support them in others, or abide them at all. How much of his truth was Joe Rogan allowed or anyone who tuned out to be predictive of COVID? So predictive, the CDC would come their way more than the other way around. And so it may not be 1984 all the time. Sometimes we need a soupçon of Aldous Huxley's Brave New World to help provide the exegesis for our times. How easily we have forgotten the opening motto of the state in Huxley's book. Three words community, identity, stability. We can spend time on community and identity, but stability is put right next to the epigraph of the book written in French, and it reads this, quote, perhaps a new century will begin, a century in which intellectuals and the privileged will dream of ways to eliminate utopias and return to a non-utopic society less perfect, but more free, close quote. Haunting, no, less perfect but more free, utopias. We were taught they could not exist, paradises, heavens on earth, perfections of human beings for the perfection of society, and then the elimination of all discomfort because stability. Utopian socialism was the phrase. It used to be more common. Karl Marx, its midwife, with certain reservations on how to get there, but the elimination of all strife, of all struggle, of all class, of all poverty, was the heaven-on-earth dream. And after seeing enough nightmares, Huxley realized the attempted achievement of perfection is the enemy of freedom. Dismantled the utopian concept, you get less perfection, but people are more free. The word utopia is itself instructive. Etymologi etymologically, it means not a place, a non-existent fantasy in and of itself. 
So for community, identity, and stability, we will all wear the same things. And it's usually drab, interestingly enough. You see this in North Korea. You see this in China. You see this in imagery from the old Soviet Union. We will all be taught the same things. We will all be punished for saying what we were not taught, and we will all be sanctioned for not living in accordance with that identified for the benefit of the community. Why? Because we are disturbing the force, the force of stability, community, identity, and stability. Choose your own path. Make your own way. Be who you want to be. Be true to yourself. Follow whatever dreams you may have. Don't conform. Be different. All of this was a sales job. As true as two plus two equaling five in Oceana. No one ever meant it. Again, COVID. It's just that, as was desired, it was believed, brought into by too many. The heresy of heresies, I quote again, was common sense. I say was, but I mean now, here, and also in Canada. I told our friend Hugh Hallman, who's in Kazakhstan right now as we speak, well, I texted him, is Kazakhstan more free right now or Ottawa? Where do you feel more safe? And isn't that question itself instructed, instructive in that it needs to be asked? What I meant was he was in a former Soviet satellite, and we were looking at our supposedly free cousins to the immediate north who have never known classic tyranny. And as those things go, Hugh in Kazakhstan was more safe and more free than anyone in Ottawa, Canada. Reagan said those who have known freedom and lost it never gained it back again. It's not, however, true that those who have known tyranny have never quested for and ultimately sometimes achieved freedom. I suppose the question is the gradation. What level of tyranny or authoritarianism one acknowledges and then dispenses with? In the brave new world, we are taught, quote, the secret of happiness and virtue is liking what you've got to do. All conditioning aims at that, making people like their unescapable social destiny, close quote, liking what you've got to do. Remember the pictures of models being tough, taking the vaccine or wearing a mask or the children supposedly delighted and knowing they've been made safe and being rewarded with the ability to go on field trips and not be emotionally or otherwise punished if their parents refuse to go along with the lie Everyone knew was either likely a lie or just simply false in and of itself. Where did the left come from in the span that ranges from the free speech movement and Woodstock to emergency declarations of force? Oh, community identity and stability. Compliance? Well, the Democratic Party is was once constituted. You know, the Hubert Humphreys, Walter Mondales, Jimmy Carters. They weren't getting us there fast enough or successfully enough. And so we come back full circle to Orwell, who writes, quote, the party told you to reject the evidence of your eyes and ears. It was their final, most essential command. His heart sank as he thought of the enormous power arrayed against him, the ease with which any party intellectual would overthrow him in debate, the subtle arguments which he would not be able to understand, much less answer. And yet he was in the right. They were wrong and he was right. The obvious, the silly, and the true had got to be defended. Truisms are true no matter what. Hold on to that. The solid world exists no matter what. Its laws do not change. Stones are hard. 
Water is wet. Objects unsupported fall towards the Earth's center. In time, he would have to write, freedom is the freedom to say that two plus two makes four. If that is granted, all else follows, close quote. Think about that definition of freedom where the definition of freedom has to be fought for so that you can merely speak truth. We have reached that point, have we not, where the most basic elementary structure or totem of freedom is the ability to utter common sense based on the laws of nature and the universe? That, at the end of the day, is the heresy of heresies, common sense. Stick with it. Stick to it. And live not by laws... The philosopher Hannah Arendt put it this way, way back in the 1950s, quote, The disappearance of common sense in the present day is the surest sign of the present day crisis. In every crisis, a piece of the world, something common to us all is destroyed. The failure of common sense, like a divining rod pointing to the place where such a cave-in has occurred, is the sign of our times. I shall leave it at that. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, coming to you live from the Guns Etc. Studios. I uh, hope you had a good day off. Did you have a good long weekend, Bill? Did you catch up on any good movies or books or anything like that? Clearly, I was catching up on some reading, uh, which I have been doing. I've been going through old stuff again that I haven't gone through in years. It's such a total pleasure, and I encourage it. I'm toying with an idea about it. I'm toying with an idea, and I'll see what the audience thinks of it, of putting together an anthology. Did you, do you remember those old Norton anthologies? Did you grow up with those? If you studied in literature, short short essays or poems or uh, things like that, Norton anthology was kind of the, the, the selected works that uh, you would read. Uh, and uh, anyway, I'm thinking of putting together an anthology of classic uh, books that conservatives should read again in the light of today, books from works from the 40s, 50s and uh, 60s. Uh, and uh, anyway, if you notice me quoting a little more liberally from them, they're just uh, excerpts that I think are relevant uh, to and for us. OK, let's talk. Speaking of old and new and the old being new again, let's talk for a moment about. Russia and Ukraine. Uh, we missed uh, our segment with Brandon yesterday because we were off. Brandon Weikert, he may rejoin us later in the week. Probably I'll invite him to do so because of the goings on with Russia making its moves into eastern Ukraine. Uh, one of the interesting things I'm seeing on social media, and it's perhaps because I'm too isolated or insular, um, but I'm pretty well connected to various and large aspects of the conservative movement. So I don't know where this is coming from. It, it's it's almost it's almost Bill's old arguing position of you were asking if there was a word we, we we discovered it to be straw man answering an argument that wasn't made. There's a Latin for it, ignoratio elenchi, refuting an argument by responding to that not argued. It's known as a fallacy, ignoratio elenchi, and I'm seeing a bunch of. Even moderates, I was going to say lefties, but even moderates uh, and some former conservatives 
saying, I don't know how people in America can stand with Putin. I don't know how people in America can stand with Russia uh, on on what's taking place. And I have to tell you, I don't know anyone who is. I, I have not read the op-ed. I have not read the tweet. I have not seen the post. I have not seen the writing or the speech by I was going to say any conservative in America, but really anyone in America that is siding with Putin um, and is thinks that Ukraine sh- is getting some form of just desserts. What I have seen, and I think it's a fully legitimate argument, particularly in the light of the last – yeah, exactly, light of the last 20 years, what I am seeing is maybe this isn't our fight. Maybe it's a bad idea to put boots on the ground here. Maybe we should have a conversation and national debate about it. Now, what does that mean? I know people sometimes retract from the notion of a national conversation, and I don't blame them. They usually don't go very far or end in much enlightenment. But if you reread, you know, smart foreign policy analysts, and to me, you know, my mentor was Jean Kirkpatrick, Professor Kirkpatrick. She writes that foreign policy, like domestic policy, is the business of democracy. It deserves as much debate and input from the voting public, foreign policy does, as domestic policy does. That there should be a consensus in America before it goes to anything close to a war, much less a war, there should be a consensus. Now, sometimes these things don't provide the time, but usually when they don't provide the time, they don't provide much of a question either. It's not as if FDR needed to take a poll after Pearl Harbor. It was all quite self-evident what we were going to do and what we had to do. Uh, But there is nothing in America today that I have seen or can find that speaks about Putin or Russia the way the poorly named America First Committee was trying to keep us out of World War II into 1940 and before Pearl Harbor. Again, before Pearl Harbor, not after. I just haven't seen it. And I will tell you that if we're starting to count and keep score as to who's for sending troops and who not, start with the president of the United States. Start there. Quit blaming conservatives. Start with Joe Biden. He hasn't offered to put troops on the ground. He hasn't said we're going to put troops on the ground. He has maneuvered a few thousand troops around the area, and maybe that's as close as it gets, and maybe it's this far and no farther. But the notion that conservatives are siding with Putin over and against, you know, Zelensky or Russia over and against Ukraine is to me as big a myth as Russian collusion. And maybe that's what it's all about. Maybe they're trying to keep it going. Maybe they find that the more you disabuse people of the notion that there is Russian collusion in the GOP, the more you need to argue that it exists. We'll think on that for a moment. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. past the hour brings us our culture and economy update. John Dombrowski from Grand Canyon Planning Associates brings it to us every day. GrandCanyonPlanning.com is his website. He has his own radio show, The Word on Wealth, heard every Saturday at 7 a.m. right here on this bat station. John, I was getting the time confused because I'm fascinated by this date we're dealing with, 2-22-22. And 24 years ago on this date, yes. U.S. hockey team beats the Soviet Union. Oh, wonderful. And that miracle, oh, wonderful on miracle on ice. ice. Yeah, I love it. Have right. you ever been to Lake Placid, by the way? Yes, I have. It's a lot of fun, isn't it's, it? It's it's a it was wonderful. We went there and we did a little uh, skiing up there many years ago, and so it was fun. I hope you had a good break. Uh, I did. How about you? I did, but things are not looking great on the markets here. Would you call this a sell-off? Uh, definitely a sell-off. Okay. And one of the interesting things to think about here is we saw the S&P 500 today go into correction territory again. Uh, it has been there uh, more recently, um, just a couple weeks ago, but it uh, recovered a bit, back down again. And when I talk about uh, being in correction territory, in, in our terms in our industry, if the markets from their peak are off 10% or more, that would be considered in correction territory. Okay. You know, and then we hear the uh, story such as bear market. Yeah, a bear market would be twenty percent off of the okay. highs, but we're not not near that. Give me the distinction again: bear market versus cor- correction, correction territory. So correction is ten percent. Bear market is that I never knew that. That is that is great to know. Twenty percent off the highs. Great. Right? Yep. Great. And yeah, the markets had a little bit of a hiccup again today. All uh, you know, a lot of this uh, negative. Uh, Movement in the markets right now, all under concerns with the current, you know, situation over in uh, uh, Ukraine. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, the thing that it begs, you, in, can I push you just a little sure. bit? Because sure. you and I are guys of men of patience, people mm-hmm. of patience, and we're, we're we tell people to stick to it, stay right. with it, just don't make any. You know, when the world around you is collapsing, you you stay where you are. Yeah. Uh, how much longer can people take this, though, before they start saying, I need the cash and I don't trust the markets? That's a great question, Seth, and that's always uh, you know, a discussion that we have with our clients because you know, when, we th- when we look at our, our, our portfolios that we have, we look at the funds that our clients have invested in the market, that is real dollars. You know, We can look at it in an impartial way because that's our job. Uh, but I would say this is that whether you have fifty thousand dollars, five hundred thousand, five million dollars, uh, that's your money, and it is personal to you, and it is emotional when we see these volatile times in the markets. Uh, you know, as an advisor, though, our job is is to try to position our clients in a way that can number one uh, be part of their overall long term plan. So, of course, the longer you have to invest that money before you're going to need it, the more risk generally you can take. Uh, but still, it's not a, a, a fun thing to see when you look at your statement and you see the value of that money has gone down. Uh, so I have to basically say this. Yes, we're in a correction at this point territory for the S&P 500. But unless you're invested just in the S&P 500, your portfolio most likely is not down as much as the S&P 500, if you have a diversified portfolio uh, of, say, 60% stock, 40% bonds, that is not the makeup of the S&P 500. So That's you're right. probably better off. So, again, should uh, we be looking at possibilities of making adjustments to the portfolio? 
I would say we have to certainly consider that. And Seth, when the market falls the way we've seen recently here, you actually could make an argument that you should become more aggressive. I've always I've always wondered about that, and um, I don't know. I don't mean to say too much, but yeah, I've all I've always kind of felt that way and behaved that way. If you've got time on your yeah, side, yeah. Now, if you said I'm going to need my money in three months, then yeah. guess what? You shouldn't have your money in the stock market, right? Right, but you there's know, still some some verities to the old truths: buy low yes. and sell high. Right, exactly. I mean, that, that, right, that's what we are talking about at, at the most basic of levels. And if you look at the most successful investors out there, uh, you'll you'll hear that their philosophy falls in line with that. Right, mm-hmm. they're looking to buy stocks when they're uh, when they've fallen to their lows. They're not looking at buying stocks uh, when they're high unless they feel that there's still a lot more room for growth in those those stocks. So if you were invested just, you know, at the beginning of this year, 2022, and you're still invested, uh, well, then what you had back in January, you probably should like even more if you, you know, like those positions. And it might be time to add to those positions, not to be thinking about selling. Nicely put, John. You bet. Securities and advisory services offered to Clientwood Securities LLC, a member of Finman Sipkin and Investment Advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Clientwood Securities LLC are not affiliated. Go to our website, grandcanyonplanning.com. You can shoot me an email to dearjohn at grandcanyonplanning.com as well. Thank you, John. Thank Question you. for the audience real quick. I have some media organizations here. They're curious about the U.S. Senate race. If you have a thought on who you're supporting and why, uh, Layman, Masters, uh, we could talk about McGuire, Justin Olson, Burnovich. I'd love to know. I'd just love to know your thinking. Taking a sample, 602 We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, parts of which are brought to you by the good folks at Balance of Nature, balanceofnature.com, to maintain your health, to protect yourself, and to repair from the minor little things that happen and come up. It's um, it's interesting. I was just – I heard another ad for it and it didn't dawn on me. There is nothing in Balance of Nature that isn't fruits and vegetables. That's all it's made of, just pure fruits and vegetables. On the maintenance part, you get broccoli and green cabbage and cauliflower and wheatgrass. To protect yourself, they're adding in red cabbage and carrots and shiitake mushrooms, cayenne pepper. And for repairs and healing, uh, green onion, zucchini, celery stalk, uh, soybean seed. That's just the fruits blend. They have the vegetable blend, which goes right along with it. Balanceofnature.com. Support those who support you when you're supporting your own body, health, and safety. Boosting your immunity with Balance of Nature. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE for the best deal. Balanceofnature.com. They're fruits and veggies. Discount code BALANCE. A few more words on the Russia thing, and I'll invoke the question I asked earlier. I have a few different sources here today uh, that are kind of curious where the audience is. There's a bunch of races taking place in the U.S. Senate race. To go up against Mark Kelly, who are you supporting and why? Justin Olson, Mick McGuire, Jim Lehman, Blake Masters. I'd love to know who you're supporting and why. And a lot of you may not uh, may not have made up your mind yet. Let me know what you're thinking uh, or what you're looking for. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. One of the things a U.S. senator, of course, would vote on would be uh, treaties, foreign policies, and you know, can we can we get back? perhaps at some place to something beyond the structure of the War Powers Act right now that allows the president to dispatch and deploy troops without 
serious or in any in any without serious or any debate in the House and Senate. The point I was making from Jean Kirkpatrick, former ambassador to the UN earlier, was that foreign policy like domestic policy should have the countenance and be recept and and take the reception of the people in formulating it. We are, after all, asking uh, young people to die for a cause. Shouldn't the American people have a say in whether they support that cause or not? What is, after all, the national interest? It's not the view of elites, and it shouldn't be the view of those exclusively elected. That is part of the representative democracy here. But most people don't run uh, on an issue that hasn't uh, led to a foreign policy crisis just yet. Uh, two things that I'll just I'll just tell you. I gleaned from Don Rumsfeld's autobiography. He died last year. Was Don Rumsfeld a casualty from last year? Uh, in his autobiography, he said something fascinating, and we should all just remember it uh, because the world is a dangerous place. In his confirmation hearings to be Secretary of Defense in 2001, I guess it would be, yes. In his confirmation hearings, you know, they sit before the Senate Foreign Relations Committee and take any number of questions. Joe Biden would have been on that committee in those days. He didn't receive one question about Afghanistan. Think about that. Not Thank you, Bill. Not one question about Afghanistan. And then, of course, it's dominated the last 20 years. Equally interesting and important, um, he writes, Dick Cheney in his Secretary of Defense confirmation hearings in 1989, 1989, Dick Cheney, he didn't get one question about Iraq. He didn't get one question about Iraq. So it's not as if these things are always going to be part and parcel of campaigns, but the people should have a right to say uh, and the leadership should be responsive to it. Was that not the lesson in part from Vietnam? Was that not the lesson from the young kids who took over the 1968 Democratic National Committee convention that year? Was it not the message from the Jerry Rubens and the Abby Hoffmans and even later the more violent groups, the Weather Underground? Bill Ayers, Bill Ayers said in his autobiography published in 2001, that they still, you know, after planting bombs at the Pentagon, the U.S. Capitol, violence <clears throat> throughout Washington and the eastern seaboard, he said they still, by 2001, were still regretting not having done more to get us out of Vietnam. Well, just or unjust or not, the left taught us that we all should have a voice in uh, our not just foreign policy, but our war policy. So anyway, I was just thinking about the context of those running for Senate. Maybe a good question to ask them and maybe something you want to think about in your support for them is what their views are on just these very things um, like uh, con confronting Putin. Uh, the um, the ever – I was talking – this is just kind of interesting I suppose because history is to me interesting and po politics is interesting. I was talking to someone about how good or not good President Obama was and – I think the question was pitched to me, how great of a president did you think Obama was? Was he a good or, or bad president? And um, my first answer was this. I said, well, I think he was probably overrated. And the reason I think that is if you recall everything that was surrounding him, and I was at his 2004 convention speech at the Democratic National Committee, that greatest of speeches he ever gave, 
And that put him on the national scene, not just uh, the U.S. Senate race that he won that year, but the national scene and queued him up for presidency in the 28 election. I was there Um, for all the atmosphere around him as this great intellect, this great orator, this great rhetorician, uh, this master of the English language. Can anyone remind me of a single positive, non-pejorative quote of his? Can anyone remember a single line associated with any speech he ever gave that wasn't, as I say, a pejorative, like you didn't build that or, you know, uh, uh, the, the quote about Bible clinging to Bibles and guns. The, the, that's what I mean by pejorative. Those in his favor, can you think of a single memorable line? I'll tell you the line that today I've been thinking of a lot lately, and it was in the debate with Mitt Romney during the 2012 re-election. Uh, do you remember the debate when Mitt Romney was putting together the foreign confrontations we would have to uh, deal with more seriously? And he mentioned Russia. What, what did Barack Obama say? Do you remember? He said the 1980s are calling and want their foreign policy back. Russia is no longer the Soviet Union, is no longer an enemy of ours. You get fundamental things wrong. You get fundamental things wrong. And I think what we're saying in the Biden presidency and the Ukraine-Russia situation is much like what we saw, frankly, with Joe Biden and much of his foreign policy, particularly the Middle East. Many of you know I have long held this view that when Joe, uh, when Barack Obama issued his red line threat to the to Assad in Syria, said, if you use chemical weapons, that will be a red line. The biggest problem wasn't that um, that that he didn't have any follow up. Interestingly enough, he farmed out the Syria problem, too, of all places, Russia. The interesting and telling and instructive thing from that moment was Syria didn't take him seriously. They called his bluff. And they were right in the sense of there was no follow-up. There was no serious red line that came from Obama. What were the conditions that led Syria to not take Barack Obama seriously? Same exact conditions. How much time do I have, Bill? Same exact conditions that led Putin to not take Joe Biden seriously, which is another really good reason why we should not want war with Russia over Ukraine. And frankly, sotto voce anywhere else. You don't take a serious leader in a serious country anywhere in history and think it's a good idea to put him up against an unserious leader in an unserious country. That spells certain defeat for the latter, not the former. Sadly, sadly gives me no pleasure to say it. It's where I think we are. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. I should say that. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, coming to you live from the Guns Etc. Studios. Mark Bauerlein is coming up. He's an old friend of the show. He has a great new book out, very important. He'll be with us at the top of the next hour, The Dumbest Generation Grows Up. Uh, it'll be good to have him uh, on uh, on with us, Professor uh, Bauerlein, English. I love talking to English professors. He was recently on uh, that fly-by-night uh, podcast known as the Adam Carolla Show. So it'll be good to have him on a real platform here in just a few minutes. <laughs> I'm teasing, of course. Uh, unserious um, is the word I used uh, in the previous segment when I was talking about the United States and up against uh, Putin and Russia and how I just think it's terrible counsel for an unserious country with an unserious leader to go up against a serious country and a serious leader. I don't think any of the predicates have been set. And I'm not quite certain as to why we um, thought that um, sanctions at this point would do very much. If you can find me 
one foreign policy expert who tells you sanctions have ever worked against an enemy regime, I'll buy you lunch. I, I put that out there once and someone said South Africa and apartheid. And I said, that's why I specified an enemy regime. South Africa was an ally of the United States. Sanctions did work. They can work with allies. If you can find me one example where they've worked with an enemy, um, I'll buy you lunch. But we're, that was those. The, the, they were exercised in the. Um, they've been exercised in buildups to problems, not after the fact um, when they had been threatened and threatened and threatened. I mean, what does it say? about the seriousness of Putin and us when we threaten that all this will happen and he goes for it anyway. Do you think Kamala Harris's uh, trip to Europe helped? Let's see. I have a transcript of what she said. Listen, guys, we're talking. Let's listen, guys. We're talking about the potential for war in Europe. I mean, let's really take a moment to understand the significance of what we're talking about. It's been over 70 years. And through those 70 years, there has been peace and security. You think anyone in the former Yugoslavia knows what she's talking about? Or how about uh, anyone in Czechoslovakia circa 1968? Or I don't know, anyone remember Hungary 1956? Uh, And of course, there were the earlier problems uh, with uh, Ukraine and Crimea. I mean, if you just listen to them, you don't have to argue with me that we're dealing with people who aren't serious and cannot give the confidence that either our enemies need. But if you're an ally of the United States, what are you thinking? You kind of get maybe one foul up if it isn't too big. Maybe you get one. And it was a pretty darn big one as things go. And it was Afghanistan. You would think that they would have one lesson, one memo written to themselves. I would love to have seen a memo written from someone in the National Security Council to Joe Biden after Afghanistan. Lessons learned might be the title, and I'm just thinking one sentence, and that sentence could be something like, nothing like this again, nothing like this again. All right, that's uh, that's my uh, brief, quick take on what's taking place, Russia, Ukraine, and uh, feel free to call in on that. But stay tuned for Mark. Bauerlein. Uh, we love we have loved him on his earlier works and essays, and uh, we will you will love him all over again for what he writes in his newest book just out. The dumbest generation grows up. We'll be right back. Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 